Miss the show? No worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. A $1.3 billion defamation lawsuit's been launched by Dominion Voting System against Rudy Giuliani and anyone else who might have spread viral disinformation about the Canadian company. Trudeau government has been put on notice that they're violating your charter rights with these new quarantine laws that aren't even officially in place. And choice in education. Some interesting findings about what parents were doing before the pandemic when it comes to their kids and learning and how that number of those looking for independent choice have only gone up. Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get to point. Am I getting through to you? That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. Transparency as a measure of boosting confidence continues to be extremely important for this government. Methinks the Prime Minister should learn the meaning of transparency because he and his government are anything but. Good to have you along for the ride. I think we all need to be at this spot as we uh, head into this weekend. And now we learn uh, we're not going anywhere fast, which is really, really frustrating. I don't know about you, but I am at this point. I'm frustrated with this grind. And now we're hearing word tonight that the lockdown is going to be extended, despite news that we had uh, been hearing we may reopen. But yes, we're looking at another two weeks of staring at our walls. So happy Friday, folks. Stay where you are. But what I'm also getting really tired of are these very meaningless weekly press conferences that we get from the prime minister. And he is by far the only world leader who doesn't leave the house to go to work. And, and that's got to stop. You know, he's a big boy. And one year in, there's absolutely no reason he cannot go to the office. There's absolutely no reason he can't attend parliament. There's no reason we can't have a functioning parliament. I mean, it's just inexcusable. He's running a country not a campaign at the cottage, which is what these weekly press conferences have really turned into. And I don't know why we entertain it. I don't know why we continue to cover it off, because we never actually get answers. No matter what the question is, without fail, you get nothing more than this canned talking point. Because what the pandemic has turned into for him is uh, the ability to become the master of deflection. And he gets away with it because reporters can't push for answers because he's buffered. And he makes sure that questions are limited and reporters then get cut off so they can't challenge him. And he's asked, you know, he'll get asked a question. He was asked today, what about ongoing supports for lockdown businesses? And all he did was answer and say, you know, well, our government's got your back and we're footing all the bills, not the provinces. Well, excuse me, there is only one taxpayer. Okay, I think he forgets that we are footing the never ending bill for all of this. And it is the taxpayers who deserve to get some transparency. And it never happens. All Trudeau does is give answers that shield him from attacks. You know, he was asked over and over again today questions about failed vaccine deliveries, why we're not getting them, why we can't see the contracts. And the answers are always the same. We've got the biggest portfolio. We've been given assurances. You will get shots by September. It's crazy. Listen to this very direct question that he just ended up sidestepping like Fred Astaire. In the contracts that you've signed with these companies, are there penalties? Do they, are there incentives for them to deliver? Is there any recourse for Canada if they don't deliver these $6 million? 
I have had uh, direct conversations uh, with the CEOs of both Pfizer and Moderna who have repeatedly assured me that Canada will receive uh, those doses uh, that we were promised, those 6 million doses, 4 million from Pfizer, 2 million from Moderna by the end of next month. That wasn't the question. The question was really simple. Did you make sure the contracts cover Canada's rear end? Yes or no? It's pretty easy. Did you get it in writing? Are we going to be assured of getting these things? And all we get is spin. And because he refuses to make the contracts public, there's just no way to bump them off these really well-baked-in talking points. But we paid $4.6 billion for these vaccines that aren't getting into arms, and we deserve to know. And I don't know if he thinks we're stupid, and many people, I mean, maybe we are, because he gets away with it. And then he free-willed this claim that again went unchallenged about the AstraZeneca vaccines. I spoke uh, with the uh, CEO of AstraZeneca, uh, Pascal Sorio, uh, just a few days ago, uh, and he very much assured me that we are uh, on track to receiving the 20 million doses uh, committed to by, uh, by the end of, uh, of June, I believe. Mm. That's what he might believe, but he was wrong. Government officials then had to come out today and correct him, saying, um, we don't know the timeline until Health Canada approves AstraZeneca. So it's great that Trudeau talked to Pascal Soriot, but we're not getting 20 million doses in June. It's actually 20 million over six months between April to September if they can produce enough. So if he's going to start spinning talking points, can you kind of get like close to the range? Because that, ridic- that answer was ridiculous. And it will become like truth. Someone will take that and say, look, we're getting 20 million of AstraZeneca. No, we are not. Then the questions turned to a story that Global News broke this week. And this is a big story involving allegations against the country's top former soldier, General Jonathan Vance. And he's accused of an inappropriate relationship with a female subordinate, one that uh, included private meetings and apparently allegedly sexually explicit texts. And again, Trudeau was asked very direct uh, questions. He was asked for his reaction from a Global News reporter, Mike Lecouture. And again, this is his response. From the very beginning, uh, this government has made it very, very clear that everyone in this country, particularly working for the government, particularly working for the Canadian Armed Forces, deserves a safe and secure work environment free from any harassment. That's why whenever allegations Mm -hmm. or reports uh, are brought forward to this government, we always take every necessary step and follow the full procedures, including all the strengthened procedures that we've brought in over the past years. Mm-hmm. That is a total non-answer. And none of it is true. I mean, you need only look to Trudeau's mishandling of a scandal-plagued governor general or a now former liberal MP who Trudeau allowed to run in the last election despite very serious charges involving sexual aid harassment in the kitchen area. And Trudeau would have known about that. I mean, hell, you've got Trudeau's own groping allegations that got a pass because, of course, he experienced it, you know, differently. These are allegations that came to his minister, Harjit Sajjan's attention back in 2018. And three years later, the prime minister knows nothing about it. 
How is it possible that this was not on your radar? And do you consider it a failure that you were not informed of these allegations, given that they involved someone so senior? Obviously, we take uh, all of these allegations or any allegations around misconduct or harassment extremely seriously, which is why we've strengthened the processes in place in government. And every step of the way, we follow those processes to the letter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Trudeau knows nothing. He sees nothing. So he says nothing. And five years later, this guy still gets away with saying nothing, even when there is very obviously something he should have to answer for. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter that he's a train wreck when it comes to vaccines or that the economy's in the gutter or his repeat performance as a blackface or when it comes to, you know, serious allegations of sexual uh, harassment or whatever within his government. He's just going to keep on repeating these empty, meaningless talking points that he's got our backs and he can. Because we keep letting him. Ultimately, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, we've got a very busy show for you as we take you into the weekend. We're going to talk about the Dominion voting system. This caused, uh, this came up a lot with the Trump election, and they have launched a massive defamation suit. This is a Canadian company here in Toronto, and they are swinging back. So if you were one of those people online making comments about this company, you better watch out because they are coming after you and a whole bunch of others. We will talk about that as well uh, as these individual education choices that parents are now starting to make. And they were making them before the pandemic, but they're starting to look at the public education system across this country and saying, you know what, I'm not getting what I pay for and I'm going to look elsewhere. So we'll talk about that and why we don't have enough education choice here in the province of Ontario. Busy show. We'll also talk about some of the things that are going on when you get off a plane and you uh, have a negative COVID test or a a number of people who are being thrown into these COVID hotel jails. And the policy hasn't even actually been officially put out. This is a complete violation of your charter rights. And that's why one group is now serving notice to the Trudeau government that they can't do this. It is a complete charter violation. So we will talk about that. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson with you here on Point on Global News Radio. Fake news is being put on notice, and this may be one of the bigger, highest-profile defamation cases we've ever seen. It involves a company called Dominion Voting Systems, which, of course, has become the focus of conspiracy theories driven by Rudy Giuliani, who had alleged that the electronic vote-counting system caused Donald Trump to lose the election because it rigged votes in favor of Biden. And then it took on a life of its own across QAnon, across social media, with Trump supporters fueling this notion that the system had been created in Venezuela to rig elections for former President Hugo Chavez. And now it was used to steal the votes and the election from Donald Trump. And the company was actually started in Toronto and initially uh, created to help those with physical impairments, like blind people, so that they could vote if they couldn't do it by paper ballot. And so... A $1.3 billion defamation lawsuit has now been filed against Rudy Giuliani, accusing him of spreading viral disinformation campaign. But they're also going after countless others like Fox News. They're going after a whole bunch of hosts and reporters and pretty much telling social media companies to hand over any comments posted that defame the company. So if you've put something out there on this company, Dominion, uh, you better be careful. Lauren Honickman joining us now, our global news, uh, global news radio legal expert. That's what you are, our global news radio legal expert. Good to have you. Nice to be here. 
So this uh, Dominion voting system has been getting all sorts of attention for all the wrong reasons. And I don't know what they've done or not done. I just know that if you've put something out there on the Internet and it's not true, you could get yourself in a lot of trouble on this one. Well, it, you can. And, you know, there's there's many people, we, and we, you and I talk about Internet defamation or alleged defamation all the time. And there are some companies and some businesses that sit back and, and they don't do anything. They say, well, we'll try to take the heat. There's others, and I can tell you, again, anecdotally from my own practice, where their business, if we don't do something, will be gone, not figuratively, but literally within hours. So Mm -hmm. you get a company like this, and they were all over the news in the U.S. I mean, that's all you ever heard about. And then you started reading about the fact that they had an office here in Toronto, or that's where their head office was. And then there was reports, and I don't want to repeat them, and we're not going to repeat them, but reports dealing with uh, suspicious things going on there. I mean, and, and so what the company has decided to do And you know what, Alex, more and more companies and individuals are doing this now. They're saying from a reputation management point of view, we're going to fire all our legal guns now. We're bringing these defamation lawsuits and we're going to force these people into court. And and it's part of their reputation management strategy. And right now, what is it, a one point three billion dollar lawsuit down there? Uh, Mm -hmm. That's huge, huge. Well, it is huge, but I mean, it could get even bigger because the social media companies have been told, you know, hand over any comment. So they're they're going to have to go through, I guess, all their algorithms. So even if you retweeted uh, an allegation against this company, Dominion Voting System, I mean, unless you've got evidence to prove uh, your point, you could find yourself on the on the side of a of a libel suit. And there are going to be a lot of people out there um, that aren't Fox News that won't have big, uh, expensive lawyers, and they're going to say, "Oh, gee, I I can't afford to go up against this." Well, you know, I deal with these things with people who are doing this type of activity all the time on Twitter, on Facebook. And and there's a misperception out there, and I wish people would understand this. There's a misperception that they can hide behind cloaks of anonymity and that the Internet is this big, huge, free expression machine, and you can say anything and everything you want. Well, things are changing, and we talked about this earlier mm-hmm. in the week, and they're changing. So you want to get on and you want to start making comments, and, and somebody says something about Company X, and you want to, oh, I'm going to just make a comment about that, and get online and start saying and being, you know, you're absolutely right, Alex. Now, you know, you've got to, it's, it's writer beware. And, you know... A lot of people will say, okay, well, this is just sort of one company and they're just, they're really going after and, and generally speaking, you're okay. Well, well, you're not, and you shouldn't be thinking that way. So before you start jumping on, on a bandwagon and start putting, especially if you're going to put your name out there, um, people and companies are taking this type of strategy more and more seriously. And when you look at this particular lawsuit, Mm. Um, you're going it, to, it is going to be a battle, by the way. You know, you can't just say to a social media company, hand it over and they go, oh, okay, here you go. You know, like uh, there'll be pushbacks and there'll be fights and it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But I can tell you that a lot of times these lawsuits, they're not even really caring 
Alex, that that they will end up at a court and they will adjudicate this. A lot of times these lawsuits are just brought because they want the message out there. Because sure, it's like this, a chill. Yeah. Yeah. This company, I mean, like, you just have to think back. You, you heard their name over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can just imagine what that could do or, or would do. Now, I heard one person say, well, if, if, if what was said wasn't true, how come we don't use them in Canada, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard that pushback. Yes, yeah, you that know, was a big like, narrative, yeah. Yeah, but it was, yeah, that was part of the narrative. And you, and you saw part, so what, you know, like, what does that show? Is that, oh, does that mean, oh, everything they're saying is, is true about them? Or you got to, I don't know. It's, but then again, what, what happens in, in the States, and we're not as bad here, not yet anyway, is people mm-hmm. do say anything they want, right? And, and well, we they do. I mean, and this company election. had to, yeah, but I think the damage is done. I mean, this is a company that had to, uh, it's just down the street, really, from where, where I live, but they had to hire hundreds of thousands of dollars of security because their yeah. staff was getting harassed that badly. I mean, people were sending some pretty alarming um, things, and, and I think it would be very difficult, even if they are able to to win um, anything on this suit. I mean, they're now branded as, um, you know, with Donald Trump and this notion right. of stealing an election, and that, that kind of damage doesn't just go away. Doesn't it? In fact, um, it 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 won't go away, and that's mm. that's something that people, you know, unfortunately, have to understand that mm-hmm. they are irreparably damaged. Yeah. They are now. There, there. You know, there, there, there may be a, a, a part of, of of society out there that would say, well, you know, the, the anti-Trump haters would say anything that you know he talks about. We don't care. But no, that's not that's not the way it works with a company like this. A company like this looks back and they say, that's it. We're done. They were probably done within days of their name yeah. being mentioned. Um, yeah, and, so and they and they had won a lot of accolades for being kind of like the up and coming uh, big tech right. uh, kid, and and what. Whether there's evidence out there or not, you know, remains to be seen. And if there is, then bring it forward. But we often, too often, especially in social media, you know, you get this unnamed, undocumented, unphotographed uh, person just saying whatever the hell they want about you. And that is one change that social media could change. If they want to take responsibility, you can't get an account if you're not using your real name and your real picture. That's the easiest way to start, Alex. They, yeah. I, I have said for years, why do we let people hide behind these cloaks of and Why do we do that? I don't know why we, why we allow that. People say, well, it allows people to express themselves without worrying. Yeah, exactly. Without well, I worrying. can't express myself without worrying. I mean, yeah, <laughs> why should right. you be able but, to? But, but the message to all of those people are that, that the courts are catching up with this now. And we're getting orders now in court for um, for for different internet companies and web to start releasing the URLs uh, when we get the court orders. So, you know, that's changing as well. The courts are catching up with this slowly, but they're realizing the 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 damage that takes place. And and this lawsuit is uh, really going to be interesting to follow and see what happens there, especially because, as you said off the top, they're going to try and get certain things from the social media companies. And that's what's going to be very interesting to see whether they have the power to do that. Yeah. And given all the names uh, associated with it, it's just going to be in the news cycle constantly. So yeah. be really uh, fascinating to watch nonetheless. Thanks for uh, the insight, because I know that this is your particular area of expertise. So I appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. Lauren Honickman. Yeah, you too. Lauren Honickman joining us here. So uh, careful what you post.
It's there forever. Stay with us here. I'm uh, Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio. Well, we've been telling you all sorts of stories about people getting dragged away and locked in what they're calling COVID jails, all because they got the wrong COVID test in the United States. And then when they get here, it's just like they've done something wrong. And this is happening without any warning, without any justification, explanation. And it is a real violation of our basic charter rights, because our charter clearly lays out that we have a right to enter and leave this country. We have the right to liberty and security. Of, uh, of our person and the right to not be arbitrarily detained or imprisoned. We also have the right to retain legal counsel. We have the right not to be subjected to cruel and unusual punishment. And yet time and again, be it in Calgary, where we've seen it a couple of times, or here at Toronto, we're hearing stories that the exact opposite is, how, uh, is happening. Now the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedom has sent a note to the Trudeau government putting them on notice and saying the party of the charter is, um, you know, the legal action that are now playing out is actually unlawful, and uh, they will be getting served. John Carpe is president of Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. He joins us now. Good to have you, John. Thanks to be with you. I have spoken to a couple of people who have found themselves in this situation, and I, I had to say I was pretty shocked because the stories I'm hearing are people who try to do everything by the book. Uh, they get off a plane in Canada, and somehow they're allowed to get on the plane with a negative COVID test. But when they get here, they're literally dragged away without any explanation and uh, and no way of communicating anything to the person who's either picking them up or when they're in this you know, COVID hotel. Well, there's no excuse for cutting off people. Uh, you know, COVID does not spread by telephone calls, uh, although maybe that's uh, the government's latest theory. There's no reason why people cannot uh, talk to their friends and loved ones. And the whole notion of secret facilities is creepy. Uh, yeah. That's what you have under <laughs> Nazis and communists and repressive regimes in, in the past and in the present. You have secret prisons and nobody knows where the people are. And it's just horrific to think that if you are accused of murder, you have more legal rights mm -hmm. than a Canadian returning home to her own country. Because if you get accused of murder, uh, you have the right to be presumed innocent. Uh, you have a right to call a lawyer. Uh, the government does not have any right to put you in a secret location. And if you are detained, that's going to be put before a judge for an independent, impartial review and so a judge is going to look at it and either rule that, you know, OK, fine, we're going to keep you in jail because you're a threat to society or no, we're going to let you out on bail and you can have your freedom uh, until your trial is held. So an accused murderer has more rights than a, a retainer, a returning Canadian mm -hmm. coming back to Canada. Yeah, it really is quite something because unless I've missed something and I watch the news pretty closely every single second of the day, I mean, the quarantine rules that the Trudeau government announced were going to be put in place hadn't actually been put in place because they hadn't announced how it was going to work. And all of a sudden, last week, we were starting to hear these stories of, um, you know, airport security or border officials or somebody taking people away and putting them on a van and driving off with them. And so there are provinces already acting. And to my knowledge, the rules haven't even been spelled out for people. Well, that makes it all the more illegal if, if such a thing is possible. So even if these laws were valid, uh, which I think a, a court would say they were not, because there's no, just, there's no justification that the government has put forward to explain why people cannot quarantine at home, nor is there scientific justification for insisting on the 
uh, PCR tests, which uh, medical experts and infectious disease specialists have challenged the validity of the PCR tests. Uh, mm-hmm. They were never designed to diagnose COVID. COVID. So, um, but but even if these orders were valid, you've got uh, bureaucrats and enforcement people gone rogue, enforcing laws that have been not not yeah. been proclaimed into force, which is also illegal. I mean, the law becomes the law when it's proclaimed into force, which is after royal assent, which is after third reading, which is after second reading. And so this is really, it's become a police state and a medical dictatorship. Yeah, it's so strange how uh, Canadians just kind of seem to be shrugging their shoulders at this. And it's one thing to work, um, you know, with the public at large to to all try to do our part during this pandemic. It's a totally different thing to kind of shrug your shoulder when uh, basic civil rights are being erased and taken away. And no one seems to care, which I find not just alarming, but... Um, you know, we saw what happened in G20. We saw so many wrongs in G20. If you were mad then, you should be furious at what's going on now. I think there's still a, a large problem with, with people that have not taken the time to look at the government data and the government statistics. It's the government's own data that tells us that this is not an unusually deadly, COVID is not an unusually deadly killer. Yes, it's mm-hmm. definitely a threat. If you're uh if you're 85 years old and you're in a nursing home and you're already dying of, of cancer and heart disease and emphysema, then in those circumstances, COVID will speed up your death by, you know, four months or eight months or 12 months. But it's not a threat to children or youth or young adults. And if you're under 70, uh, you have a greater risk of, of dying while driving a car than you do of, of dying from COVID. And people, unfortunately, are, they're not looking at the facts. And I'm referring to, you know, Ontario government website, uh, Alberta government, B.C., Quebec government websites, where you can see uh, that the number of deaths uh, in relation to annual deaths is not significant. And Statistics Canada tells us that in uh, in 2020, uh, you know, you would think with a pandemic, you'd see a lot more people dying. And yet in 2020, the number of Canadians dying was very much in line with 2019, 2018, 2017. And I think if people were aware of the facts, uh, you'd have less fear and then you wouldn't have these charter violations. No question. There are going to be, I think, many constitutional challenges uh, when the dust settles on this thing. It certainly uh, became a factor in the G20 with the kettling. But um, now you're rolling out kind of uh, legal action to the federal government. How will that work? And are you asking people to join a, a suit? Yes, we're still receiving lots of emails at uh, www.jccf.ca and uh, when people want uh, legal representation because they want to participate in suing the federal government. So this would be people that were detained, right? We're, we're, not, uh, we're not going to do a lawsuit on behalf of people that are worried but, but haven't been detained. And it's, we're going to keep on working on getting the, the lawsuit ready but now uh, we've had some indication that the government is going to backtrack off of the current policies. So it might be that the court action might be put into some kind of abeyance for a bit until we get the actual policy. And if the actual policy is a lot better, it might not, nece- might not be necessary to, f- to follow the court action. So we're still gearing up for it, but we're also kind of waiting uh, with the government seeming to now be reversing course. Yeah, which makes it even worse, because that shows you that arbitrarily you've got these, um, you know, uh, 
government groups that are just acting on their own, um, you know, and, and people don't know their rights. And so what would your advice be to anyone who finds himself in their situ- this situation? Canadians landing in back in Canada, uh, they're between a rock and a hard place because if you, uh, if they say, okay, we're going to take you off to some, you know, secret quarantine location for a few days because we, uh, we don't acknowledge the validity of your negative COVID test. If you resist and don't cooperate, then you will be, uh, very likely you will be arrested and handcuffed and taken Mm -hmm. down to the police station. And then, you know, I don't know if that's a much much of a better option. I, I can't say for sure if you would then be allowed to be released and go back home, uh, which is where people want to be. One of our clients, mm-hmm. Nikki Mathis in Edmonton, she's a mother of three children, and she was down to visit her own mother in Texas, and she comes back, and she's, you know, detained in a secret location. And, uh, you know, she's got three young kids at home. So I can't really advise i I will say you know you you either you have to you have to suck it up or uh take your chances and say well i'm not i'm refusing to cooperate and then there's a chance you'll be arrested by police taken down to the police station and then i don't know if you'd be better off or worse off i just don't know nonetheless this is the party of the charter so uh imagine that nonetheless it's uh what's that website again john so people can get information www.jccf.ca. Okay. We'll stay tuned to this, and uh, maybe they can clarify that policy for us. John, thank you very much. Pleasure speaking with you, Alex. That is John Carpe, president of Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. So go figure. I mean, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But again, the policy's not clear. I don't even think it's finished. And yet people are getting taken away without even basic rights read to them. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio. I think, you know, in fact, I know that the last few months of this online chaos has opened a lot of parents' eyes to the shortcomings of our kids' public education and what they aren't getting. And I've talked a lot about the need for more school choice, be it supports for things like charter schools or independent schools, maybe a religious school. And now the Fraser Institute has dug into this issue, finding that even before this pandemic, there was an increased number of parents looking into putting their kids in a different kind of education because they don't think their kids are getting what they need in the public system. And Ontario doesn't offer any supports for alternative learning. And yet there is still a huge number of parents that are looking for change. Paige McPherson is an affiliate scholar with Fraser Institute. And Paige, you dug into this issue. And I think this is one of those things that has to be looked into moving forward. So great to have you with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You know, when you look at the country, I mean, B.C., Alberta, Quebec, the Western provinces, they get choice. You know, you don't have to go to the public system. If you want to go to, let's say, a a charter school, you want to homeschool, you've got those options and you'll have kind of this um, support with dollars. Ontario does not have that. And I think more than ever, we need choice. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting when we look at the data, which we got from Statistics Canada, we saw similar trends nationally and within Ontario. So the proportion of students that are enrolled in independent schools and homeschooling both has increased nationally and in Ontario. And meanwhile, the proportion of students that are enrolled in public schools that, of course, are government-funded and also government-run has decreased. And the time period we were looking at 
was 2006-07 to 2018-19. So put another way, an increasing proportion of Canadian parents, uh, including in Ontario, are choosing to send their kids to educational alternatives outside Mm -hmm. of their local public school. And as you say, the government does not offer support in the form of tuition support um, or, or per student funding to schools. The, in Ontario, uh, for independent schools, the way that is done in Quebec and all the Western provinces. So it's very interesting that we see this increase of interest and parents actually making the sacrifices that are required in many cases to send their kids to independent schools or homeschooling, despite the fact that the government really offers no financial support um, for those choices. Well, it's so political, as you know, because um, talking about public education for anybody running in politics is like the third rail. I mean, you need only ask a guy like John Tory when he merely suggested that uh, if you wanted to send your child to a faith-based school, you should be able to get some kind of taxable benefit or or some kind of support. And that just erupted and, and lost him that provincial election. But, you know, if anything, we've learned during this pandemic is that parents have had to absolutely scramble to try to figure out ways of doing their job and also having to homeschool, whether they create pods or find some kind of private tutor, something. But parents have been forced now into finding alternatives. And it's almost like this forced change now has created an opportunity for someone in charge to take charge and say, you know what, maybe there should be other choices than just the public system. Yeah. And so it's interesting, you know, that you bring up learning pods as an example, because learning pods, which are effectively mini schools, which have popped up organically, you know, parents kind of grouping together, similar to homeschool collectives to provide um, either at home or at a facility uh, education for their kids in small little groups outside of their local public schools. And that has caught significant interest rather in Ontario, more so than in any other province. And again, the other province, you know, provinces where there is more of that culture of offering that government support for these educational alternatives, Ontario doesn't have that. I mean, outside of French language schools and the Catholic school system, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. really part of the public school system, um, Ontario does not offer that kind of funding for parents. So I think that, again, it just it really speaks to the fact that in Ontario, there is this really organic interest driven by parents. Um, finding that, you know, their kids are not one size fits all. So they need to find an alternative type of education for their kids outside of the kind of one size fits all public school system. Um, And and they're they're doing that despite the fact that, you know, they don't have that that support from the government. I I do think, you know, that um, the question becomes, should the government, you know, is the government keeping pace with this um, interest from parents in Ontario? Should the government be exploring policies like we've seen in Quebec and in all the Western provinces to expand the affordability of independent schooling or homeschooling for more families? Yeah, I mean, it's going to take real leadership on that because, as you know, the the public unions are just so powerful and they carry a huge part of the vote and they make a lot of noise about this. But but frankly, if, um, you know, our kids are behind and we know that they are behind, I mean, we're already arguing about do we cancel March break, get the kids caught up, or do we keep them in school? And, and the way I'm looking at it, Paige, I know my child is behind, not just a week, but it's going to take months to get these kids back up to speed, caught up with, with where their grades are so they can they move on with the proper education and it's going to require 
um, public schools either opening in the summer or somehow offering extra courses so that kids can get caught up. And my concern is that they're just going to keep pushing the kids through on the premise of, oh, just the little deers have been through so much, let's just push them through. But the kids won't have then learned what they actually need to learn. Yeah, it's, I think that that's a, it's a really valid concern. It's a concern that a lot of parents have right now. Um, in a way, it emphasizes um, why so many parents, um, you know, favor educational alternatives for their kids, because I think that what we're going to see is that, yeah, probably, um, you know, of course, it, it, it's yet to be seen, but a lot of parents are remarking that their kids are falling behind. And I'm sure yeah. that all these different types of kids are falling behind in all sorts of different types of ways. And it really emphasizes the importance of, of just, you know, finding the right educational fit for each kid and, and every kid learning in a unique way. Um, and, and so, again, it, it does raise the question, I think, of whether the government could um, could support this. I mean, it's, it's not just Quebec and the four Western provinces that offer support for independent schooling. I mean, 31 U.S. states and the 12 European countries with the largest economies all offer some level of support or per student funding or tuition supports or vouchers for students to, um, to pursue education in independent schools outside of their local public schools. So Ontario really is, has not kept pace um, with so many jurisdictions with which, you know, it, it, the kids graduate and then compete with kids from those jurisdictions. Um, yeah. And so, it, you know, it, it's an important, I agree with you, it's a political topic, but um, it is, I think it's an important um, policy for governments in Ontario to look at. And there's different ways you can do it, you know, whether you're looking at per student funding for independent schools, vouchers, even variable rate or, or income tested vouchers to target low income families specifically. Um, it, it, I think that and just let me interrupt you. Have you have you been yeah. able to da- break down the data as to how much it would cost? I mean, we already pay taxes for the public education, but how would it change if we were going to, let's say, support uh, religious choices or charter schools or, in, you know, how does that work and what would it cost? Do you know? So this specific blog series doesn't look at that, but there is existing research, some of which I've done, um, on the savings. Um, and and I, I do call them savings because that's what they are. It does um, save money to, to send kids to educational alternatives because public schooling, um, which, uh, of course, is government run um, is the most expensive uh, of yeah. those different forms of school. So independent schooling, send, you know, to do a per student funding for independent school um, costs the provinces that fund that less money. Charter schools, which are only available in Alberta in terms of the Canadian context, that is a less expensive option for taxpayers than sending a kid to public school. Um, and, and that's often because in the case of independent schools, for example, the government um, provides up to a certain amount of money and then parents can then make that choice. So if they have to pay a little bit extra in in some cases, then they will pay that little bit extra. And then the cost ends up being lower um, for taxpayers. And of course, within those those systems, they can also find efficiencies in the way that government schools sometimes haven't. So yeah, it, it is a cost saver overall. But I think that, you know, more importantly, we already see this this happening. Of course, public schools um, educate most of the kids in Canada, but we do see this increasing proportion of students, just to tell you Ontario right now, increased from 2006-07 um, was about 5%, 5.1% of total students. And then um, in 2018-19, it rose to 6.8% of students. So it's, it's still not the majority of students that are seeking independent schools, of course, but that's actually quite a significant increase. And again, that's before COVID. So parents are yeah. already doing this, you know, should government mm-hmm. up with that. I give that a resounding 
Yes, absolutely. Choice is good, nonetheless. Um, and fascinating uh, look into it, and I'll look forward to you looking into the um, post-COVID uh, sector to see where it takes us. Paige, thank you very much for your, uh, for your time. Thanks so much, Alex. That is uh, Paige McPherson, who dug into this for the Fraser Institute. Stay with us, Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio. You can join us, of course, live Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp here on point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.